Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, November the 26th, 2019. It is currently 10.30 p.m. Central Time. Well, you are listening to the Theology Central Podcast, and, well, I have a lot of things I need to talk about, a lot of things I would love to talk about, but I thought I would use this episode to turn our attention to the subject of secular humanism. Secular humanism. A little while ago, I came across a sermon that was preached, uh, I think about two or three weeks ago, at a church in California. And, well, I think the name of the sermon, I have it right here, the name of the sermon is Secular Humanism, the Intolerant Religion of the Man-God. Secular Humanism, the Intolerant Religion of the Man-God. So I'm just going to play this sermon. I'm not going to edit it. I'm not going to interrupt it. You're just going to get to hear the whole thing. And then, well, you can offer your feedback and you can let me know what you think about it. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I, I think you'll find this to be helpful and beneficial. Um, I just wanted to share something this evening and I didn't have the ability to, to talk about some of the things that we need to talk about, but... I heard this sermon and I thought, well, I'll share it with everyone and I hope you'll find it to be beneficial. Again, the name of the sermon, Secular Humanism, the Intolerant Religion of the Man-God. Listen carefully, let me know what you think, and I hope you'll find this to be challenging and beneficial. May God bless you as you listen to the preaching of his word. So in Job chapter 38, if you'll recall the context of, of Job here, um, Job is tested, and uh, so he has these three quote-unquote friends that give him all kinds of advice. Uh, he describes them as miserable comforters. Uh, They're as physicians with no value. And so God is finished listening to all the foolish counsel of Job's friends, and then in Job chapter 38, uh, 39 and 40, uh, God then asked, Job, where were you and your friends when I created all things? Uh, the Lord answered, verse 1, Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel? Notice by, by words without knowledge. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Lots of words, lots of noise, but dark counsel, no knowledge. That's God's estimation of this. Gird up now thy loins like a man, Job. For I will demand of thee and answer thou me. You answer me, Job. You, you answer what I'm going to ask you right now. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Uh, and then God's just going through here and asking Job all of these, 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 these questions. And we go to chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. The Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. It's, it's foolishness for any man to think that he knows better than God, or that he knows the thoughts and intents and ways of others or of God himself. And that's exactly what Job's friends were doing. They were telling Job, Job, this is why all of these things have happened to you. We know, and this is what you need to do. And this is what you don't need to do. And, and God just comes and says to, to Job, Job, I mean, answer me. If, if, 
You know, do you really think, where were you when I created all things? I mean, your, your mind, the mind of man is so limited and finite. Um, we go over to Isaiah chapter 40 and 41, and uh, we have something similar here. Uh, God tells Isaiah to declare his greatness. And, and, and Isaiah declare how insignificant man is, and even more insignificant, the idols that he makes. In Isaiah chapter uh, 40, notice verses uh, 12 to 15, God uh, tells Isaiah, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who's done this? Who had directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor had taught him? Who, who comes to God and says, here, God, let me, let me give you some counsel and advice here on what you need to do and how you need to do it. This ties in very well with what we've been looking at in our Bible Institute class on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, with whom took he, that is God, with whom did God take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles or the islands as a very little thing. So, so God's finished listening to all the foolish counsel of Job's friends and says, where were you when I made all things? And he comes to Isaiah and he says, I want you to, to declare to the people how insignificant man is compared to me, the almighty God. Now, keeping these things in mind, and we're just really scratching the surface, of course, here on the, the person of God. But keeping this in mind, I want us to briefly take the time to consider this morning the secular religion, the, the modern religion of secular humanism, which I call the intolerant religion of the man, God, the man, God, we are God. Um, so often I think we wonder why the things happening around us are happening as they are is, is, is we look at the world, we look at the news, we watch the news, we read news and, and we simply chalk it up to, well, times are changing. And so this is what we can expect. Well, they are changing, but the times have always been changing. Um, What's happening right now, however, in the world in which we find ourselves, and particularly, I think, here in, in, in the Western culture, in Western society, is something we haven't really seen on such a grand scale before. We've always had infidels, secularists, atheists, uh, agnostics, etc., etc., in our midst, but we have never before had this kind of religion setting the tone of the culture. I mean, really, in this experiment of, of America for over 225 or so years, uh, we, we've always had these pockets. We've always had people, and we've, we've, we've created a culture in which we can include people that have various ideas and beliefs concerning God. But we've never had this particular religion that we're going to look at, secular humanism, setting the tone for our culture before. Now, of course, there are many reasons for this, but we don't have the time to get into that today. In fact, we're not even going to have the time to remotely finish this today. Um, there are many reasons for that. And, and I will add, I think one of the biggest reasons is the fact that the church over the last 100 and 150 years has become so weak and compromised that there is no true voice of thus saith the Lord among the church today. 
but but that's just a side note. There are many reasons, but but what I want to do today is simply point out the basics of secular humanism, what it is, and try to explain the goals of the secular humanists, briefly provide a biblical answer, but I want to do this in their own words. Um, so we can we can really better, I think, grasp and understand what's going on in the world today and why it's going on as we look at the world around us. So I want to begin this morning by sharing the impetus for this study. What, what even brought this on? Um, years ago, I had begun to, to study the, the, the system of secular humanism. And, and, um, and so over the years, I've kind of been adding to that collection of information and decided just recently uh, that I want to include this in an upcoming article for Foundation Magazine, which is why that's what I've been working on. And, and what what kind of triggered my reinterest in this was the public uproar and outcry over the fact that just recently the Attorney General of the United States, William Barr, gave a speech at a university here in the United States in which he essentially described in his speech three things. Number one, he described... The role of religion in America during the past centuries, he was talking about the role that religion has played in, in America and, and in the formation of our country and the freedoms and all of these things. Number two, he, he described the dangers of secularism's rejection of religion in which secularism then increasingly calls on the government to fill that void. So he's warning kind of about this. And then number three, he described the intolerance of secularism, which William Barr contended is actually a religion in itself. The intolerance. If you don't get on board with this, then we are not going to accept you. Um, Barr said this, and I quote in his speech, the secular project has itself become a religion pursued with religious fervor. It is taking on all the trappings of religion, including inquisitions and excommunication. He continued, those who defy the creed, that is the creed of secularism, and we'll see what that is and talk about that, but those who defy the creed risk a figurative burning at the stake. Social, educational, and professional ostracism and exclusion waged through lawsuits and savage social media campaigns, which is exactly what we're seeing in the world in which we live and find ourselves today. If you're not on board with the tolerant, the tolerant secular humanists and their view of life today, then you are ostracized. You are, uh, you are, well, the, the word today, you are shamed in so many ways. Um, in other words, what Barr is saying and what I am agreeing with is that the rise of secularism or secular humanism is having and will continue to have a profound impact and effect on our nation in the years ahead. And we have to understand this. Statistics continually reveal, I get these articles constantly that cross my desk, statistic after statistic, study after study, that younger people in our nation are categorizing themselves as nuns. Uh, that, that is, people who self-identify as atheists or agnostics, as well as those who say their religion is nothing in particular, that the nuns is what they are known as. Secular humanism's disdain for any form of transcendently codified standard of ethics and morality, which for us we would say is the Bible, 
God's word to us, revealed by an unseen God, that is the true God of the Bible, as we understand. And secular humanism's demand that all bow to its own belief system seems to be the new default, what I call worldview trajectory of the West. This is the direction we're going. A disdain for any transcendent code of morality, a code of ethics that have been delivered by a transcendent God. And for us, like I said, this is uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Bible. Um, and uh, that's what we believe. For almost a century, almost a hundred years, secular humanists have sought to lay a framework. Really, this is an ongoing project, a framework for their man-centered religion by issuing a series of manifestos or declarations intended to plainly state the foundation for their beliefs. And over the past hundred years, secular humanists have published six different declarations. Of course, in addition to many other numerous books and articles, which each of them may slightly differ in their tone, and yet they're cohesive in explaining the core aspects of the religion of secular humanism. Um, I list them up here. First of all, we have in 1933, the Humanist Manifesto One was published. Uh, this manifesto recommended, I quote, a form of non-theistic, that is no God without God, religious humanism as an alternative to the religions of the age. As well as, here's the other thing that the Humanist Manifesto One uh, uh, propagated, a quote, national economic and social planning. End of quote. So all the way back in 1933, we kind of have this introduction with this Humanist Manifesto One, uh, and we need this new form of non-theistic religious humanism. It's an alternative to other religions, and we need national, economic, and social planning. Then in 1973, the Humanist Manifesto Two came out. What would that be? About 40 years later. And the Humanist Manifesto too addressed the issues that arose on the world since the first manifesto. If you look at those dates, you'll see that what came onto the scene was the Cold War, communism, the United Nations, the sexual revolution, the women's movement, all of these things. And so in 1973, um, they are addressing these issues. I'll quote from the manifesto. Uh, the manifesto defended the right. I'm not actually, no, I'm not going to, I don't have the time to quote from the manifesto. So let me just kind of put this, we got to move on, move, move on here. Uh, essentially the manifesto defended the right to abortion, birth control, divorce, sexual freedom, euthanasia, tolerance of alternative lifestyles, left room for naturalistic humanism and liberal religious humanism. It was just really addressing what was going on in the world and saying, uh, this is, this is fine. Um, this is the direction that we need to go. In 1980, the Secular Humanist Declaration came onto the scene, which sought to defend the Humanist Manifesto II, which had come under heavy attack from fundamentalists and what they call right-wing political forces in the United States. The Declaration countered the attack of the fundamentalists and political conservatives who said secular humanism is really a religion itself. So they, they came up with this declaration in 1980. Um which said that, quote, secular humanism expressed a set of moral values. Think this through secular humanism, express a set of moral values and a non-theistic 
that is no God, philosophical and scientific viewpoint that could not be equated with religious faith. So that's what it, it came along to say. We're, you know, we're not a religion and we're just all about science and no God. And that's what it's about. Then in 1988, we had a declaration of interde- interdependence released, which called for a new global ethic and the building of a world community because of the advancement of the global institutions that already existed. And then the big one, uh, just 19 years ago, almost 20 years ago now, actually, the Humanist Manifesto 2000, released by the International Academy of Humanism, signed by over 100 of the world's top intellectuals and scientists. It reiterated really many of the humanist ideals that were already there, already present in the previous declarations and manifestos. But what the Humanist Manifesto 2000 did is it moved a step further by introducing the need for what they call a new planetary humanism and advocating a new global agenda that includes a new planetary global system of government. Paul Kurtz, who is the president of the International Academy of Humanism, editor-in-chief of their their magazine, Free Inquiry Magazine, back in the day. I don't even think it's a hard copy magazine anymore, but he drafted the Humanist Manifesto 2000, as well as the three previous humanist documents. And then in 2003, uh, the most recent manifesto came, published by the American Humanist Association. It really just reiterated the basic principles of the 1933 document and the Humanist Manifesto 2000. And so... um, we want to consider what is, what we've been talking about this, what is secular humanism when we use this term? And we're warning about the fact that it is seeming to become the default worldview, or at least the trajectory that we're heading on here in Western culture. What is it? Well, the, let's see what they have to say about it. The Council for Secular Humanism defines it in the following synopsis uh, by four individuals back 20 years ago, right before the Humanist Manifesto 2000, uh, 2000 came out. Uh, four individuals, four secular humanists from on the Council for Secular Humanism came together and came up with a synopsis. Uh, Fritz Stevens, Edward Tabash, Tom Hill, Mary Ellen Sykes, and Tom Flynn. I guess that's five people, not four. And um, <clears throat> can you, I know you can read that. I had to put it all on one screen because it's just the way it has to work. But here's, here's what they said. This is their words. What is secular humanism? Here is their synopsis. What do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven point. Number one, it is a conviction that dogmas, ideologies, and traditions, whether religious, political, or social, must be weighed and tested, notice, by each individual and not simply accepted on faith. So dogmas, ideologies, tradition, it doesn't matter if we're talking here, religious, political, social, must be weighed and tested by each individual and not simply accepted on faith. Number two, they say it is a commitment to the use of critical reason, factual evidence, and scientific methods of inquiry rather than faith and mysticism in seeking solutions to human problems and answers to important human questions. Number three, a primary concern with fulfillment, growth, and creativity for both the individual and humankind in general. Number four, a constant search for objective truth. I don't want to interject too too much here because we need to get through this, and I'm just going to read this. but, But just notice, a constant search for objective truth with the understanding that new knowledge and experience constantly alter our imperfect perception of it. 
Okay, next, number five. A concern for this life. See this? The focus on this life. And a commitment to making it meaningful through better understanding of ourselves, our history, our intellectual and artistic achievements, and the outlooks of those who differ from us. Number six. No. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. I don't have these numbered, so I have to count. A search for viable individual, social, and political principles of ethical conduct, judging them on their ability to enhance human well-being and individual responsibility. And number seven, a conviction that with reason, an open marketplace of ideas, goodwill, and tolerance, progress can be made in building a better world for ourselves and our children. This is the the summation from their own words of what is secular humanism. And because secular humanists, as we see, place such a great emphasis on science, reason, and technology, many people wonder, how do they view the religious or the supernatural? Well, they answer this. The answer, according to these authors, is this, quote, secular humanists accept a worldview or philosophy called naturalism in which the physical laws of the universe, let me just, I have to interject this right here. Let me, let me pause because on our, on our Bible Institute class on Tuesday night, uh, Dr. Whitcomb just addressed and discussed this. Interesting that they are bowing to the physical laws of the universe. And yet there must be some way those laws are there uh, in the first place as laws. But anyway, okay. The physical laws of the universe, secular humanists accept the worldview or philosophy called naturalism, which the physical laws of the universe are not superseded by non-material or supernatural entities such as demons, gods, or other spiritual beings outside the realm of the natural universe. So that leads us to wonder about the religious or the philosophical backgrounds of those who embrace and espouse secular humanism. So in response to the question that was asked of these five authors, are secular humanists atheists then? Uh, these authors answer for the Council for Secular Humanism in the affirmative. I quote, secular humanists typically describe themselves as atheist, that is without a belief in a God and very skeptical of the possibility, or agnostic, that is without a belief in a God and uncertain as to the possibility. Secular humanists do not rely upon gods or other supernatural forces to solve their problems or provide guidance for their conduct. They rely instead upon the application of reason, the lessons of history and personal experience to form an ethical slash moral foundation and to create meaning in life. I have to interject this from the quote. Let me, this is my, me speaking. Notice to create meaning in life. We've got to find meaning. We got to create it. Okay. Continuing the quote, secular humanists look to the methodology of science as the most reliable source of information about what is factual or true about the universe we all share, acknowledging that new discoveries will always alter and expand our understanding of it and perhaps change our approach to ethical issues as well. End of quote. The Humanist Manifesto, too, stated, I quote, we find insufficient evidence for belief in the existence of a supernatural. It is either meaningless or irrelevant to the question of the survival and fulfillment of the human race. As non-theists, we begin with humans, not God, nature, not deity, end of quote. 
And the Humanist Manifesto 2000 put it this way. It emphasizes the current need for humanist thinking in this way. It says, I quote, The unique message of humanism on the current world scene is its commitment to scientific naturalism. Most worldviews accepted today are spiritual, mystical, or theological in character. They have their origins in the ancient pre-urban nomadic and agricultural societies of the past. Boo, right? Not in the modern industrial or post-industrial global information culture that is emerging. Yay. Scientific naturalism enables human beings to construct a coherent worldview disentangled from metaphysics or theology and based on the sciences. End of quote. So this is what we're dealing with here. With this understanding in mind concerning really the definitions of secular humanism and the atheological bias, that is no God bias, of, of most, if not all, proponents of secular humanism, it becomes clear, and this is what I want to want us to grasp this morning that the underlying message of secular humanism is this. And this is where we're at today. God does not exist. Man should not live as though he does exist or pattern his life after any theological system. Instead, man should look to testable, provable scientific methods for answers to life's questions and problems and seek to develop a code of ethics and morals apart from any theological presuppositions. That is the essence of secular humanism in which we find ourselves today. And yet these precepts are unequivocally at odds with biblical Christianity. Can we see this? I mean, do we understand that these are absolutely incompatible with biblical Christianity? Yet what I argue is that both Christianity and humanism are faith-based religions. I mean, they really are. Despite the fact that at least in the past, humanists have vehemently denied such an assertion. You see, while the Bible calls mankind to an inward regeneration through faith, through faith in the substitutionary death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, creator, Savior, Redeemer. Secular humanism calls mankind to an outward regeneration or self-renewal through faith in his own efforts, through faith in himself to reform society and work for the greater good of all. It's a faith-based system. Rather than believing in God, man must believe in himself and his provable, quote-unquote, scientific conclusions. Thus, it would only seem reasonable for secular humanists to look within themselves and to society for salvation from social woes, personal woes, any other kind of woes that exist. As the Humanist Manifesto 2 so clearly announced back in 1973, quote, This is an amazing quote. You can just wrap your mind around this. While there is much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are or will become. No deity will save us. We must save ourselves. End of quote. And that really sums it up. We must say, we must 
exercise faith in ourselves. We are placing faith in our inward self and mankind and the goodness of mankind. And we don't need God. In fact, not only do we not need God, there is no God. We know there is no God. Why do you know that? Well, we just know it because we can't see it. It doesn't fit our framework of scientific naturalism. So we're, we, we are placing our faith in the fact that we know there is no God. See, it's a faith-based religion. And instead, the God is me. The God is self. I can do it. I can figure it out. You keep thinking back, remember, to, to, to Job chapter 38, 39, and 40. Keep thinking back to Isaiah chapter 40. I mean, remember God just almost laughing. And where were, where were you? Who gave me counsel? Who taught me anything? Who are you, Job's friends, to think you know so much better than me? Know, know the hearts of man. Anyway, well, it's interesting, too, because back in 2010, that wasn't that long ago, the American Humanist Association launched a national advertising campaign. Isn't that interesting? In order to, quote, directly challenge biblical morality and fundamentalist Christianity. Sounds like they're threatened and they're really doing whatever they can to get their religion out there, to win, to evangelize disciples. Well, the campaign was described in a press release as, I quote, the largest, most extensive ever by a godless organization. The American Humanist Association ran television commercials. Maybe you saw some of them t- nine years ago. Television commercials, print advertisements in national, regional, and regional newspapers and magazines. Quote, demonstrating that secular humanist values are consistent with mainstream America. And that fundamentalist religion has no right to claim the moral high ground. End of quote. So what the ads would do is they would juxtapose quotes of renowned humanists with passages from religious texts like the Old and New Testaments or the Quran. And um, the uh, executive director of the Humanist Association said, we want to reach people in every corner of the U.S. from all walks of life to raise the flag for humanists and show others they have more in common with us than with biblical literalists. He said, it's important that people recognize that a literal reading of religious texts is completely out of touch with mainstream America. Although religious texts can teach good lessons, he said, they also advocate fear, intolerance, hate, and ignorance. It's time for all moderate people to stand up against conservative religion's claim on a moral monopoly. It's interesting because although secular humanists claim to be people of reason, they claim to be people of science rather than faith, these people are sure placing their faith in the God of self and believe we possess the truth and those who think differently are wrong and dangerous. I mean, you notice the hypocrisy here. It's evident they're becoming even evangelistic with their message of man-centered religion. So anyway... We're already running out of time, but what I just wanted to take the time to do this morning is give some characteristics of secular humanism from, from quotes of the, the, the Manifesto uh, 2000, some of the things that the Manifesto declared, and, and, I, and, and to kind of show you, and you can see how even though this was written, what, around 19 years ago, it's, it's really becoming entrenched in our culture. These things that were written 19, 20 years ago, you look at these now and you say, yeah, this is, this is kind of the way things are right now. This is the way people view life right now. Um, Humanist Manifesto 2000, as I stated before, called for mankind to save itself through a new philosophy known as planetary humanism. Um, 
it, it's interesting because when I got this Humanist Manifesto back in 1999, an official press release came with the manifesto and it stated, I quote, the manifesto calls for a shift, both philosophical and practical, to an all-encompassing planetary outlook. Now it's more than just self, secular, self-humanism. It's a planetary outlook, one that seeks to preserve human rights and enhance human freedom and dignity, but also emphasizes our commitment to humanity as a whole. In the future envisioned by Humanist Manifesto 2000, scientific, here it is again, naturalism plays a key role in fulfilling the best aspirations of humankind. The best, the best aspirations. Um, we believe it's possible to create a better world, the preamble of the manifesto states. The realities of the global society are such that only a new planetary humanism can provide meaningful directions for the future. It adds, if our problems are to be solved, it will be only by marshalling reason, science, and human endeavor, end of quote. Which is why in our next service, Lord willing, I, I, I want to kind of spin off of that and, and look at the problems that we're facing in the world and, and really consider the various worldview views and then see what the Bible has to say about that. Well, what characterizes secular humanism? Of course, a hatred of any form of religious fundamentalism, be it Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Mormon, whatever. From the very beginning, the manifesto declares religious fundamentalism of any kind as a threat to the ideals and principles of secular humanism. Um, it, it, it despises, it despises this. And I'm not going to go into, because we don't have the time really to spend, spend a lot of time, but, but any, any time someone believes there is a God, there is reality transcendent of ourselves and that God has revealed truth to us through his word. And of course, as Christians, we believe it is the true God of the Bible and the Bible, the Muslims, it would be Allah and then their Quran or different texts. But I'm saying any kind of faith, um, it's despised. I mean, it's, it's hated by secular humanists and the desire for this new planetary uh, humanism because it really says, well, some people must be right and some people must be wrong. There's a line drawn between truth and untruth. If you believe this, um, they, they, the Humanist Manifesto 2000 says, I quote, the persistence of traditional spiritual attitudes often encourages unrealistic, escapist, otherworldly approaches to social problems, inculcates a disrespect for science, and all too often defends archaic social institutions. Notice this, quote, Here's, here's why they hate, they hate this. Quote, many religious and political groups oppose contraception or the funding of programs designed to reduce fertility and to stabilize population growth. As a result, economic development and the reduction of poverty are hampered by these religious people and these fundamentalists because they don't believe in population control and abortion and euthanasia and all of these things. On this, let me just add before we move on, this does not mean that humanists hate, uh, uh, that, that humanists despise liberal religious humanism. Okay, they're, they're fine with liberal, and we'll look at this next, our next session, Lord willing. Uh, they, 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 they hate fundamentalism, they hate evangelicalism, they hate biblical Christianity, but religious liberalism is okay. 
It, in fact, the Manifesto 2 that we put up there, I think that was the one back in 1973, explicitly allowed for liberal religious humanism because liberalism today, theological or religious liberalism, really comes to the exact same conclusion as the secular humanists. There's not much of a, a difference. And um, anyway, let's move on. Okay, hatred of any form of religious fundamentalism. Number two, I don't know why it's... I. I on my computer, it, it was all nice and everything lined up right, but this, it bothers me because it needs to be proper. It's true. I mean, that's just, that's just not good. So what characterizes secular humanism? Hatred of any form of religious fundamentalism. Uh, number two, naturalism. That, that, as I said before, they continue to hammer on this. It's science. Science provides true answers, but it's science as interpreted by them, as interpreted by the secularists. Scientific naturalism is the root of the humanistic belief system. Now, what's important for us to understand as Christians is that neither biblical creationism nor evolution is provable within the realm of science because neither could be observed. Both theories require faith on the part of man. Yet the secular humanists readily embrace Darwin's theories as if they were fact. Um... The, the Humanist Manifesto 2000 says, I quote, neither the standard modern cosmology nor the evolutionary process provides sufficient evidence for intelligent design, which is a leap of faith beyond the empirical evidence. But it's interesting because the evolutionary process is not a hypothesis or a theory to a secular humanist. Rather, it's the basis of fact on which the reality or lack thereof of intelligent design is judged. You see, we all have the same evidence here on this planet. We all have the same evidences. We're gathering the data and reading the data differently because we have different presuppositions. It's a faith. It's a faith system. The Bible declares from the get-go, in the beginning, God, in, already existing, in the beginning was the Word, already existing. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So we go to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created, ex nihilo, out of nothing, the heavens and the earth. Does that require faith on our part? Yes. Does it require faith on the part of the secular humanists to say, no, that's totally wrong and not true? This is how we came about, even though they weren't there, can't test it, can't prove it. Yes, we come from absolutely different places. So, characterizes secularism, hatred of any form of religious fundamentalism. I don't even like to use the word religious fundamentalism. Any form of, of theistic religion, let's put it that way. Naturalism, that is science, that's what provides the true answers. Um, I'm going really quick through this, and I just need to. Number three, the search for an atheistic system of morals and ethics. Um, in other words, we don't look to, to God, of course, because he doesn't, he doesn't exist, and he hasn't given us any kind of information. We, 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 we try to, through consensus and experience and, and coming together apart from any kind of codes of ethics or morality or God, we want to find a system of morals and ethics that everybody can rally around and get behind apart from truth, apart from the reality of, of God. Uh, I quote from the manifesto, humanist ethics relates ethical choices ultimately to shared human interests, wants, needs, and values. Very interesting. 
Because we're going to see next in our next session, if you think man's inherently good, then yeah, we all really are looking out for each other. We're all looking out for number two, not number one, right? We all are. So uh, our ethical choices are to, to be shared. Shared human interests, wants, needs, values. We judge them by their consequences for human happiness and social justice. I'm quoting still. So this is how they're judged. Well, how happy does it make you? What makes you feel happy might not make me feel happy. You know, I, I, it, 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 it's all relative. We judge ethical choices for human happiness by their consequences for human happiness and social justice. Then therefore the challenge, I, I'm continuing to quote, the challenge for societies thus is to emphasize our similarities, not our differences. Okay. Um, and they add humanists quote, maintain, we should be prepared to modify ethical principles and values in the light of current realities and future expectations. So we're going to try to find an atheistic and, 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 uh, atheistic system of morals and ethics and ethics and a theological without theology system of morals and ethics. It, that, that, that's, I mean, this is the, that's the postmodern relativistic mindset in which we live right now. And you, you live that out and play that out. It doesn't work in the real world. It does not work. But anyway, okay, next. Commitment to humanity as a whole. I love this quote from the Humanist Manifesto 2000. I mean, they're saying, I'll, I'll read the quote in a minute. What, what they're saying here is individuality and personal identity, whether it's racial, cultural, national, it, it, I mean, that's anathema to the secular humanist worldview. I mean, the idea of planetary humanism is rooted in the belief that commitment to humanity as a whole supersedes any form of commitment to one's nation, ethnic, or cultural background, or of course, religion. Um, notice this quote, quote, we should be tolerant of cultural diversity. Get this. Except where those cultures are themselves intolerant or repressive. End quote. That's the quote. So who's setting the standard here? Continuing the quote. It is time to rise above narrow tribalism to find common ground. Ethnicities are the result of past social and geographical isolations that are no longer relevant in an open global society. End of quote. Hmm. Um... We should be tolerant of cultural diversity, except where those cultures are themselves intolerant or repressive. Someone's playing God here. I mean, this is the point. We're having so much faith and trust in somebody. Someone's God. Someone's going to decide which cultures are themselves intolerant or repressive. Guarantee you biblical Christianity <laughs> is intolerant and repressive, according to the God of uh, the secular humanist or the God of self. So this commitment to humanity of a whole. And uh, the desire for uh, a planetary bill of rights and responsibilities. That's what the Manifesto 2000 was really laying out. It stated that to fulfill our commitment to planetary humanism, we propose a planetary bill of rights and responsibilities. The embodiment of our pl planetary commitment to the well-being of humanity as a whole. Okay. Well, we're, I didn't realize we were already out of time. I don't have the biblical answer here. I wanted to deal with this. 
So we'll just go ahead and stop right now. And, um, and uh, you know, Lord willing, next uh, session here in our morning worship service, we're going to take a time to kind of break some of these things down. And hopefully we can, I'll speed through that and maybe add the uh, biblical answer to the end of that. So we can get through it all. But you, you understand, I'm just, does any of this kind of sound familiar? I mean, these quotes from their own documents, does this sound like this is permeating the society that permeating the society that you know and live in today through, it, it does to me. I mean, it's, it, they're doing a great job. The God of this world's doing a great job, you know, behind the scenes to implement what he will have to blind, as scripture says, the minds of those who believe not, lest the light of the glorious good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, should shine unto them. Yeah, Bobby. This is biblical. All the stuff you're talking about to me is biblical. Because it says it more Yeah, that's right. That's right. We're going to congratulate people. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly the truth. And that's, yeah, I wanted to get there. So no, no, you, no, you're good. That's that. What Bobby is saying is part of what we want to get to. God is said, this is what man is. And I will give man over to this. Um, so you're absolutely right. And we'll, but I, maybe we'll touch on it. Like I said, next here in, in 15 minutes, we'll touch on it. All right. As we, as we work our way through some of these problems we face, but thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Thank you for paying attention. I know this is a lot, and I only got through about four of my 13 pages. But, um, hey, the next issue of Foundation will have all of this documented in there, so I hope it'll be helpful for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful opportunity you've given us to come together today and just consider what's going on in the world around us. And, and Lord, may we, may we dwell on the words that you shared with Isaiah and Job. Who are we, Lord? Uh, may we believe and love and trust you more. Uh, for your glory, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.